0: The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the third chapter. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was, Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Etruria and Trachonitis, and Licinius, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. shall see the salvation of God, the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated. So today is the second Sunday of Advent, and it's the day that we always talk about John the Baptist. And uh, John is a particularly interesting character to me. He's a particularly interesting person because he's not necessarily the person that you would think of who would be sent by God. He's described as being kind of wild-looking. He lives in the desert. He wears clothing made of camel's hair. He eats locusts and wild honey. And if all of this is any indication, probably he is not the person that you want in your house to freshen the air. You know, because how are you going to have very good access to all the things that we enjoy that keep us clean, right? So this, by all accounts, is someone who probably we would see and, and discount. And this is the type of person that throughout scriptures, God calls again and again. The people who aren't the ones that you would expect to have anything good to say, the people who aren't the ones that you would expect anything good to come out of them. You know, you think about Moses. Moses was someone who murdered someone and was on the run and living on his father-in-law's farm. You know, we think of Noah. Noah was someone who We don't necessarily know what he did before the flood, but we know that after the flood, the first thing he did after building an altar was plant a vineyard. And then there's that account of him getting so drunk in his tent that he was laying there naked. This is in the Bible. It's okay to talk about in church, right? All throughout the scriptures, we hear about unlikely people being called to be the messengers of God. And John is no different. One of the things that sets John apart, though, is John doesn't just come and and preach to little groups of people that gather in these little pastoral images that we see in stained glass sometimes where, where the sheep are just, you know. And all. John is someone who preaches to crowds of people. When they talk about John, they talk about someone who preaches, and people come from all over the region to hear him talk. And one of the reasons I think that is, is because John is someone who has a message, that is authentic and hits people where they live. John is someone, I think, who is not afraid to talk about the things that matter. When I think about the people that I'm willing to travel a long distance to hear, you know, it's, it's not the people who are going to tell me, oh, everything's happy, everything's great, blah, blah, blah. They're, it's fine. I like things to be happy. But I like to hear people who are going to really talk about the things that, that make a difference in my life, who are going to have a message that's authentic. are going to have something to say that's going to hit me where I live and and cause me to hear the gospel of God in a way that I don't hear it very often, a way that hits me right in the heart. And two words from from this passage of John hit me in the heart this week. One of them is wilderness. And uh, this morning, the story I shared was uh, the story of how when I started, I hadn't preached in like six weeks, and I was going through a tough time. You're welcome to—I'll tell you that story later. Um, the, the wilderness story that's hitting me right now is actually something that's, that's real close. Uh, the person who was my youth director back when I was a youth was— and has been a good friend of mine for, for years and years and years. I've known her longer now than I knew her before, and I was just diagnosed with a brain tumor. Wilderness. You know, this is the kind of thing that that takes faith out of being a theory and puts faith into practice. And it's been one of those weeks where, you know, I've I've done all the work that I'm supposed to do and I've done good ministry and I've I've talked about faith and I've done all those things that, that you do, but the whole time there's been this undercurrent of tension and grief and fear and anxiety and worry and all the things that you go through when someone that you care about is sick. And it reminded me on the way here of something, and I've heard this attributed to a lot of different people, so I don't know exactly who to quote here, but I know it didn't originate with me, and that's good enough for right now. Someone who, after their, their spouse died, said, you know, when I was there and I was in the church and we were saying the creed and I had trouble believing it, the body of Christ believed it for me until I was able to believe it again for myself. And when we sang the hymns, and I couldn't sing the hymns with faith. The people who were there sang the songs of faith for me until I was able to sing them again for myself. And one of the things that I recognized during the first service this morning was that the, the people here today at Epiphany are singing for me and praying for me, not because I, I'm necessarily having that doubt, but because those times in our lives where we have those fresh wounds we need the support and the love of the community that comes to us only through the waters of baptism. Because sometimes when our own birth families don't necessarily know what to say, we we have a body that supports us, not necessarily because we know what to say, but because part of what it means to be part of this family is that we gather during the times that matter and bear each other up. And the people who are willing to cry with you are the people in your life who really matter. You know, that's what I mean when I talk about authentic. That's what I mean about a message that hits you in the heart. That's, that's what I mean when I, when I talk about a faith that is real, that ebbs and flows, that when we're in the wilderness, those places that we find where we are broken and dead inside and we feel like the earth has been salted, the wilderness is the place where we encounter God. Because as Paul says, in our weakness, God's strength is perfected. The wilderness is the place where we dispel the myths about who we are. You know, that I am in control of everything that I do, right? That's a myth that I like. You know, that that not only am I in control of everything that I do, but, you know, I, I pretty much have a have a stable life that's that's never gonna change because I am young and capable, and I'm always gonna be young and capable, right? Those those myths that You know, everything that I have is because I'm so good and I'm so smart. I know know y'all don't ever have this problem, but this is something I occasionally struggle with. You know, the myths that we tell ourselves are dispelled in the wilderness because we recognize that we're never good enough to avoid all the bad things that can possibly happen. No matter how good our plans are, no matter how smart we are, life happens to us. And we discover also that we are not in control because in an instant, Life can be so out of control we don 't know what to do with ourselves, and we recognize and it, at thirty eight one of the things that happens to me is occasionally I apparently injure myself in my sleep. This is a gift of the Holy Spirit, and I got up this morning and realized that somehow I had injured my ankle in my sleep, so if you see i 'm limping that 's why you know and even even at thirty eight which I consider to be very young, and for you youth it 's not as old as you think it is, you know already we, we start to discover that our that So many things, even our bodies, are not in control like we think they are. And in this wilderness, where we can't rely on ourselves, and we can't rely on our smarts, and we can't rely on our competence, and we realize that everything's out of control, God is present, and God is strong, and God is capable. And that, to me, is good news. The other other word that that really strikes me is, is repent. Because repent is a word that I think is hijacked a lot of times. You know, it really, in its in its purest form, is a really innocent word because it simply means to turn around. But most of the time when I see the word repent in Columbia, it's on the side of a guy's truck. It says repent, because God hates y'all, but specifically like these 30 or 40 people who whose sins are listed on the side of this truck, right? Have y'all seen similar vehicles or similar signs that people carry around? You know, and And I see that, and what I hear in this is the word repent is a word of accusation. The word repent is a word of judgment. The word repent is a word that almost becomes a weapon. And it's a word that kind of tells me that God is angry. God is waiting for me to mess up. God is waiting to smack me down. And God is ready to punish me for that. And it's kind of a popular way that we hear what, what it means to be a Christian sometimes in the South. And in any other context, the way that relationship would be described, that this version of repent has, is as abusive, right? Somehow, because it's God, it's okay. But if we, if we had any other relationship in our lives where, our, where the other person was acting like this, we'd tell people to get out, right? So, what, is, what does it mean to repent? to repent. How do we get this word back? So we get it back to what it really means. Because repent is not a word of accusation. Repent is a word of invitation. Remember I said repent just simply means to turn aside, to turn around, to turn away from one thing and turn toward another. And so when John preaches repentance and forgiveness, that's part of it, is that repent is in the context of forgiveness, right? But repent is also turn away from the illusion that I'm in control and turn toward the good news that God is in control. You know, turn away from the way that the things I want in my life are holding me back and holding me down, because let's face it, I don't always want things that are healthy. And, and turn toward the healthy good things that God is calling us to do. You know, turn away from those litanies of things that we have running through our head the the shame and the guilt and the fear that we all struggle with and turn toward the truth that in the waters of baptism we are made to be holy because God is present and where God is present ordinary, everyday, broken things become holy, sanctified, healed things. Even us turn away from the idea that if anyone really saw what I was about that they could never love me and Turn toward the God who invites us to imagine the new reality that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ we have love and forgiveness and worth even when we don't feel it. Repent is a word of invitation from the lie that I have to control everything and the world is broken and dying into the truth that I am not in control, and whether I believe it or not all the time, it's good news. And that where God is present, what was broken and dying has new life, because where God is, things can't help but thrive. So so we hear these words of wilderness and repent, and all of a sudden, for me, I kind of understand what that authenticity that John had really is. You know, John is someone who is willing to come as he is and do the work of God and let what God is doing through him be the thing that shines. It's not the clothes he wears. It's not the food he eats. It's not whatever eye device he had. You know. It's, but it's the, the goodness of God that flows through him as he tells the truth about who we are. That, yes, we are people who have brokenness and we are people who have our issues. But through turning away from those things that we cling to vainly, and turning toward the truth that God is working in and through us, we are a new creation, and we become beautiful, shining with the light of God that shines through us, shining with the hope of God that shines through us, and as we have the symbols of light in Advent, by lighting new candles, by by putting up the Christmas lights we recognize the light of God that is punching holes in the darkness of our hearts and calling us to dare to hope that our lives, our world, our communities can be something different and face the truth that one of the ways our world and our lives and our community are called to be different is by what God is doing through us. So as we go out from this place and we we ponder the mystery of a God who loves us, even when we kind of act like jerks sometimes. Our, our task is to ask the question, how is it that in the things that we do and the things that we say, are we shining the light of God into a world that needs it? Because this world is hungering and thirsting for the good news that there is something good, that there is something whole, that there is something healthy, and the good news that it doesn't have to come for us from us. How is it that we are going to be the light of Christ shining into darkness and calling the world into new hope and new life in the process? Amen.